I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do, this guy says the horse can do, if he says the horse can do, can do. Welcome to Odds and Ends with Mike Tice. Today my guest is Jockey Hall of Famer, my friend Gary Stevens. He was inducted in 1997. In 1998, he won the Eclipse Award as the nation's leading jockey. His first derby ride was on Tank's Prospect in 1985, and the first of his three derby wins was on winning colors in 1988 for Hall of Famer Dwayne Lucas. Nine Triple Crown wins, three derbies, three Preaknesses, three Belmonts, nine-time Santa Anita Derby winner, my friend, Gary Stevens. So welcome, Gary. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike, up here in uh, Saratoga. Day off today and just enjoying life. It's good to be with you. Oh, no, it's nice to see that you're up there in Saratoga working for Fox Sports for the NYRA New York Racing Association. We met Gary back in 1983 at Long Acres Track in Seattle in 83 and 84, you were the leading rider for two years, and then you moved your attack down to California, down to Santa Anita. Those were great times, weren't they, Gary? Yeah, they were, and who would have thunk in 2019, you'd have had <clears throat> excuse me, the career that you had, and, and uh, me, the career I've had, and uh, still best buddies today. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think is great, I talked about earlier that you won your first derby in 1988 uh, on winning colors for a coach and trainer Dwayne Lucas and then you came back in 2013 after many injuries and surgeries and won a Preakness for uh, Dwayne Lucas on Oxbow that's 25 years difference that's some career you had yeah Dwayne really uh, kicked off my career and actually uh, Ian Lasbury another fellow Hall of Famer Laz was actually the first one to really start using me on a big big level when I uh, moved down to Southern California in 1984 uh, you know, that, that trip was just supposed to be a winter vacation in sunny California. And uh, I just bought some property in Renton, Washington, going to build a house and all that. And uh, that vacation uh, lasted for a lifetime in Southern California. Uh, took me to a lot of great places. And, yeah, after uh, retiring for seven and a half years, doing television and coming back and uh, winning another classic for, for Wayne. Uh, he's he's like a surrogate father to me, and uh, saw him on Saturday at the races here at Saratoga. He's never changed, and still got a great eye for a horse, and uh, just one of my, my great, great dear friends. Well, and you won the Kentucky Oaks, I believe, in 86 on Tiffany Last for Las Barrera, so you re- you paid dividends you paid dividend for him for giving you, a sh- you giving you your first shot. Yeah, that was, that was actually my first classic win, uh, that you know, everybody talks about uh, winning colors in 88 and really putting me on the map when it's uh, Tiffany Lass uh, winning your first classic. Uh, I was so excited and it uh, just gave me a hunger for more. And uh, then it was it was a coach in 88 with winning colors. So that really uh, snowballed my, my career and put me on the map as, as a big money rider. And, uh, you know, and, until that happens, until you get that opportunity and, and capitalize on it, uh, that's when things really started to snowball and move forward. Yeah, well, Derby wins in 88 on winning colors for Coach Lucas. 1995, you came back on Thunder Gulch for Coach Lucas in 1997, of course, just came short right winning the Triple Crown on Silver Charm for, for Bob Baffert, the Hall of Famer. 
what a great, great, great career. And it's so, uh, uh, so wonderful that you had three Derby wins, three Preakness wins, and three Belmonts. Any experiences or any of those races stand out to you? Well, obviously, my first one uh, was the thrill of a lifetime, but um, you can't tell, you can't explain that feeling of uh, crossing the finish line in the Kentucky Derby, a childhood dream, and uh, that that feeling uh, you want to capture in a bottle. But unfortunately, uh, I had to ride the next day, and it's on to the next uh, next race, and. Um, it just gave me a hunger to want to do it again. And the second one was better than the first, and the third was better than all of them in 97. Oh. And, um, that's why, you know, that's why I did what I, I was doing, is, is to try and win those classics. It was important to, to win every day on, on a regular basis, to, to be able to get those kind of mounts and, and stay consistent and uh, just show up and, and give 100% every day, and that's what puts you in the ball game. Uh, for the big days. Let me talk about some of the great uh, girls that you rode, uh, fillies and mares, and then we'll talk about your your job now with Fox Sports and uh, New York Racing Association up there in Saratoga, you lucky dog. Winning colors for mm-hmm. Coach Lucas, Silver Bullet Day for Bob Baffert and our good friend Mike Pegram, Beholder for Man- Richard Mandela, and Serena's song, a lot of people forget about Serena's song, again, for Coach Lucas. Those are some great, some great fillies and mares. Uh, which one stands out to you the most? All of them you just mentioned. Uh, obviously winning colors because she won the, won the derby. But uh, to be able to come back and uh, write a filly like Serena's song in 95, I actually, I'd ridden her in a maiden race going a mile in a, or going uh, six furlongs and, and uh, got beat. And she had some wind problems. Uh, she would entrap. And, and uh, what that means is their epiglottis flips. Uh, they flip the pallet and they can't get that. They just make a, a gurgling noise. And uh, they were running her a mile and a 16th maiden special at Del Mar. And I believe it was Farm Away was running in a stake here in Saratoga. And my agent asked me, he said, do you want to stay, ride the Philly, or, or do you want to go to Saratoga? I said, I'll go to Saratoga. And uh, I said, that Philly can't get a mile on the 16th. Uh, she never will. Never, never a chance of it. Nakatani rode her. She won by 16 lengths. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get the rider again until the following year. Uh, she ran in the Kentucky Derby with Thunder Gold's Tabasco Cat and, and Serena Song. That was the three horses of Lucas's. And she was leading coming into the stretch, and I passed her on, on Thunder Gulch. And, you know, Thunder Gulch was the longest uh, shot of the, the three of the Lucas horses. And so the Preakness, uh, two weeks later, they run the race, the Black Eyed Susan, the day before the Preakness. And Coach entered her back and named me honor, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, great, great success uh, and, and a great mare. And... Uh, then I, I never thought I'd get another one. And then along comes Silver Bullet Day, and it was like Serena's song was reincarnated. I don't think I ever wrote a Philly in my career that uh, gave me the confidence throughout a race uh, of just pure dominance. And, and the, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, we won at Churchill Downs, and the following year we came back uh, for the Kentucky Oaks. Right. And I mean, she dominated that race like no other horse I've ever ridden. I knew at the three-eighths pole, it was just a matter of uh, how far she was going to win by. 
And at that that point in my career, I'd never ridden a, a grade one winner that I knew a long ways out that she was she was just going to gallop. So um, she she was definitely one of my favorites and one of the best uh, that I ever rode. Yeah, and that was 1999 that you won that with Silver Bullet Day. I remember that ex- very very explicitly. That was a great that was a great race. So let me ask you this question before before we go on. Horse groom for your dad, Ron, at age eight. Jockey, jock's agent, trainer for a little bit, movie actor in Seabiscuit <laughs> in 2003, analyst on TVG, HRTV, NBC Sports, and presently make, uh, working as an analyst, as we talked about, for NYRA and Fox Sports. I don't see Hot Walker in there. Did you have a Hot Walk? Oh, yeah, and I'm still not afraid to do that. It's uh, part of the game of... Yeah, when I was training, uh, even in the mornings when I'd work courses, if, if uh, things got backed up and uh, there were other sets going out, I wasn't afraid to, to uh, walk the horse and, and help cool out until somebody was available to walk. And the same when I was training. Um, you know, it's, it's a team sport. Nobody knows it. I mean, it's just me and the horse on race day, but there's so many working parts in it, from hot walkers to grooms to uh, bookkeepers to assistant trainers and people that are relied on a lot like a football coach man right. there's there's a lot of working parts that, that go into me coming in and, and just playing quarterback for you know 20 minutes yeah no I, I agree with that so tell tell me uh, what it takes to be an analyst on uh, Fox Sports Every day of the week, they're racing five days, I believe, up there at Saratoga. And so they extended the meet a little bit, which is awesome for the racing fans. Uh, tell me what your day I- entails now, and tell me what your week entails, and what type of preparation. I know you and I talked about this yesterday, that you're really enjoying your job. I am enjoying it, but it's work. You know, I'm, my shifts are usually, I, I work the 4 to 6.30 shift, and uh, like uh, Saturday, we had 11 races, so the shift was changed from 4 to uh, 7 o'clock. And um, there's a lot of prep that goes into it. Like today, for instance, I'm studying for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday's races are already out. And, uh, you know, the past performances have come out. So not only have to prepare for my own races, I usually uh, take off the six. I, I work from the sixth race to the last, but... Uh, I've got the TV on um, while I'm in the office uh, doing my final touches on, on the show, getting ready to go on and paying attention to the races earlier on. I've got to be aware of, of everything that's gone on before I go on in case of uh, something may happen, an incident, or, uh, man, these maiden specials up here, they're, they're just like Del Mar. They're loaded races, and you might see the next superstar. These races usually happen the second or fourth race before I, my shift starts. But I'm watching, and I go out in the paddock, I check them out, and uh, just a lot of prep work. And opening week here was only a four-day week. It was Thursday through Saturday, and uh, our producers, everyone is, is busting their butts, uh, just working hard. I was exhausted Sunday night. Uh, fortunately, now Saratoga, first time in the history of Saratoga racing, that we're only racing five days a week. So... I couldn't imagine doing six days uh, with the workload that, that we're all putting in, but uh, it's it's good work. It's fun work, um, but there is a lot of prep that, that goes into it, um, more than I did when I was riding races. Uh, you know, I'd handicap a race, uh, and 
try and put myself in, in every jockey's position who has a chance, who doesn't, uh, horses I can throw out. Well, I can't throw any horses out uh, most of the time. I've got to be able to make a case how this horse can win. If they have no shot, they have no shot. But up here especially with the competitiveness and horses dropping in, um, you know, just owners and trainers wanting to, wanting to win a race at Saratoga, it, it's difficult handicapping. And, um, you know, fortunately we've got, we've got a couple of handicappers that, that are unbelievable. Jonathan uh, Kinchin, he's come up with his own handicapping numbers and formulas. And I'm like, man, where did you come up with this horse? Are you, are you nuts? <laughs> and they win. Right. And uh, he said, buddy, um, the first race I ever bet on was the Kentucky Derby on Giacomo. I was in college. I bet 50 across the board on him and didn't know anything about racing. And he said I was hooked. I started uh, using different formulas to handicap. First day I worked with him, he said, listen, buddy, here's the deal. Horses have four legs, and if they can walk out to the racetrack, that's all I can tell you. I can't tell you anything else. He said, I use numbers, and it works for him. Well, Andy that... Sterling, uh, same thing, you know. So we're, we're a good team. Uh, they, they see things I don't see uh, on, on paper, and, you know, they, they don't see things that I do. So I think we all complement each other. Well, and, and obviously a lot of replays too, right? You have to look at film almost like a coach getting ready for a game. You have to look at the film. You have to look at the replays. You have to see if a horse gets in trouble. You have to see uh, if the jockey, you know, didn't have room to get somewhere. Maybe he was trying to get through in the rail and everyone comes over on him. So those are important things too that I've noticed over the years of handicapping is looking at that tape the same way I would look at the tape if I was a football coach. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> You know, years ago, we didn't have access to it as, as much as we do now. And um, Naira actually has a betting app where it's the coolest thing. I can click on it, and uh, you, you click on a particular horse's name in a certain race, and it pulls up the races from their last four or more of what you want, and the video is right there. You hit the camera button. Uh, because, and the reason I do that so much before I go on the daily racing form, the trouble line, sometimes is misleading. They say a horse stumbled or, or whatever. And so I go back and look and see actually how, how bad the trouble was. Uh, did it affect how this horse ran or is this just a comment? And sometimes uh, while I'm doing that, I'll see something else in the race that might not even be that particular horse, but I mark it down so the next time that particular horse had trouble, I know when they run. So, uh, yeah, just just like you do with uh, with doing film, I do the same thing. Well, I know, and that's what people don't understand. There's a lot of similarities. In my life, I've noticed as a player and a coach and talking to people in other forms of uh, employment, other careers, other jobs, other athletes, other sports, there's so much carryover. And that's, that's one thing that's great about athletics and great about our professions is there is a lot of carryover, and you can relate to people in the, uh, in the other job and in the other sport. So... Uh, let me ask you this one more question here, and I'm going to let you uh, wrap it up. All right, so I'm going to probably have to edit this out because I'm stuttering over here, Gareth, so don't worry. Why? Yeah. Why? It's been great, Mike. <laughs> so, so I looked at, I looked at the, the forum for the next couple of days. I'm heading down to Del Mar with Diane to have spent some time with our good friend Mike Pagram and, and his wife Mary Ellen. And Friday, the 19th, I see there's the Lake George Grade 3 uh, Ninth race at Saratoga for three-year-old fillies, one mile on the inner turf. So my first question, there's different turf courses 
on, especially say on Belmont and then on Saratoga and the bigger in the bigger racetracks. What's the difference in your technique and the things that you have to do uh, between an inner course would obviously would have a tighter turn and maybe an outer course that has a little bit more of a, I wouldn't say sweeping turn, like that mile and a half turn uh, at Belmont, but a bigger turn. Is there a difference in the style and a difference in your approach in riding those type races? Uh, definitely. So, Mike, great question. And uh, the inner turf course here at Saratoga, I, I love Saratoga. I love coming here and riding uh, any race, but uh, not not my favorite track to ride uh, on the inner turf course. Um, the turns are as tight as anywhere I've ever ridden, uh, almost like the old uh, Pomona racetrack before they extended it to three-quarters of a mile when it was a, a five-eighths mile track. The, the turn's almost like a hairpin turn. And they ran their first uh, baby race, their first two-year-old race, going a mile on the 16th on the inner turf course on Sunday and I hated riding first-time starters on there because the turn comes up quick, and if you're riding a horse that's inside, the outside's dropping in, the horses get intimidated, and they tend to want to run uh, straight. That turn sneaks up on you, and, you know, you're holding your breath, uh, uh, trying not to clip hills with the horses in front of you. So um, it takes some getting used to, and young riders, they, they don't know what's coming up, and, and some of the horses just do not handle that turn you got to remember that the mile and 16th races on turf at, at uh, Belmont uh, and even the mile races, they're one-turn miles, and they're one-turn mile and a 16th because of the expansiveness of, of Belmont Park. So a lot of even the older horses that are, are turf horses have never never run into a turn uh, before, so it sneaks up on them too. Uh, a lot of these guys, they've got the luxury of the Oklahoma training track, which has, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, has two turf courses on it as well. So they're able to school them in the morning and at least give them a taste of it. But uh, that's the difference between uh, the the out turf course, the out outside turf course, and and the inside turf course. So here's the reason I keep seeing turf course because you sounded funny when you said inner course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could we could play that too because this is a podcast. We can do whatever we want. Absolutely. Uh, so so in the, in that Lake George Grade Three, Chad has three horses in Chad Brown. That is Regal Glory, Dog Tag, and Blowout. Uh, and uh, Wesley, our good friend Wesley Ward, another another Washingtonian, uh, another great rider. In fact, I believe Wesley won the Eclipse Award as the uh, 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 apprentice rider way back in the day. If I'm not mistaken, yes. but Wesley, you're not mistaken. And Wesley has the Mackham Bullet in, and uh, who last uh, ran at Keeneland and won the Appalachian at uh, Grade Two. So that's going to be a heck of a race on Friday. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's a great race. Uh, Chad's on fire right now. I mean, he's so tough to beat up here. Um, he's got such an arsenal. He can focus on this meet. I he he set a record for wins last year. A phenomenal forty. Uh, 40 wins up here, and uh, Chad's driven. He's going to try and beat his own record uh, this year. I'm sure he started off on fire. He finished 1-2-3 in the Diana, uh, grade one, uh, one of the biggest races of the meet, and and, uh, obviously opening weekend, but uh, finished 1-2-3, and, you know, he attacks from all angles, and he had four fillies in that Diana, and I don't know if you watched it or not, but he had a speedball in there that was owned by Mr. Peter Brandt, who owns Sister Charlie, and they sent her out on the lead, 
Um, Billy Maud had a filly in the race that looked like she was the lone speed. Well, he sent the filly Tace out, and they hooked up, and she was she was the rabbit. They went twenty two and three, so the first qu- first yeah. quarter going a mile and an eighth, and and everybody's like, "What's going on?" I said, "The rabbit's doing its job, oh, yeah. and um, it, it worked, and and uh, they do it all the time in Europe." I had it happen to me uh, back here in the day. I won the. Whitney on on commentator beat St. Liam and uh, we get to Belmont Park uh, for I believe it was uh, uh, the wasn't the suburban anyway it's a, a mile and eighth race I'm on commentator St. Liam's back in there and, and Rick Dutro put two rabbits in the race two sprinters six two six furlong specialists and they came out and first one hooked me for about three eighths of a mile, and then here comes the next one, and I couldn't get mad. I mean, I knew what was going to happen when I looked at the racing form, and sure enough, it worked. They killed off commentator St. Liam won. I finished a bad second, but it's part of the game, and and I love the strategy, and that's that's the angle he fires at. So if he's running three, he's got three different styles of of running. Right, and and that's the thing. When you're running three horses, or like you said, running four horses, or even running two horses, there is some strategy in there. And, and the question I would ask is, if you're the owner that is the uh, the Huckleberry, the one that's going to go out there and set it up for the other horse, how how do you feel about that, or how are you supposed to feel about that? Well, in, in this particular incident over the weekend, uh, the filly that, that went to the lead, uh, Tate, uh, like I said, she was owned by Peter Brandt and and uh, Sister Charlie, who won the race. Uh, she's owned by Peter Brandt and the other two horses that finished second and third, uh, Rushing Falls. Uh, she's she's also a filly that lays close, but she didn't need the lead, so they benefited from from that strategy as well. Now, if you've got uh, three separate owners, that's a whole different story. Uh, you can't use one to to sacrifice, but you definitely, you know, you've got a horse that likes to lay forward, uh, one that might be a mid-pack or one that can follow and, and come running. Uh, you definitely don't want to run three uh, speed horses together. I mean, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. So, uh, great question. I wouldn't feel good about it if I was uh, I was the owner right. of the horse that's going to be the Huckleberry. <laughs> right. And I didn't like being told I was being the Huckleberry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, that's that's kind of how it works, Mike. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up 2013 again when you came back uh, uh, and made another crack at it. And I was there that day. You win the Breeders' Cup Classic on Mucho Macho Man. You win the Distaff on Beholder. What a great day. What a, what a great way to make the comeback and come surging back. That must have been uh, uh, just a wonderful feeling for you and your family. Yeah, listen, when I came back, I didn't expect to win another Classic with Oxbow in 2013 when the Preakness, and I darn sure didn't think that Beholder was going to come along for me. And the one one trophy that was missing uh, from my wall was the Breeders' Cup Classic. I'd finished second, I think, four times over my career, and I just accepted when I retired in 2005 that it just wasn't meant to be. Uh, but... You know, that's that's one race I wanted to win with a passion, and, and thank goodness uh, Mucho Macho Man came around, and uh, Kathy Ritvo and, and Dean Reeves, Patty Reeves, the owners of Reeves Thoroughbreds. Uh, I was lucky to be aboard, and, and we happened to hit it off right and got the job done. So uh, it was 
huge. Um, that that was one of the sweetest wins of my career. Oh, that was a great day. I was there. Nine-time Santa Anita Derby winner. Which one stands out the most, or or a bunch of them, probably? Uh, the first and the last. Listen, uh, that was that was the race I wanted to win, uh, as bad as the Kentucky Derby. And I remember seeing Pat Valenzuela as a, an apprentice uh, winning on Codex for Wayne Lucas and. Um, I said, man, I wonder if I'll ever get the ride in that race. And I won my first one. And uh, Bill Shoemaker, uh, he had won eight uh, Santa Anita Derbies. And when I was tied with Bill Shoemaker, I said, like, this is the pinnacle of my career. I'm tied with Bill Shoemaker for Santa Anita Derbies. And uh, when I won the ninth one, it was kind of bittersweet because I thought it was pretty cool I was tied with, with Shoe. But it was a new record, and I'm proud of that achievement. Uh, there probably should have been three more where I was second that I think I could have won. So that would have been huge. But, um, no, the last one was, was the sweetest. Uh, you know, the, the last victory of anything is the freshest in your mind, and, and uh, that's what sticks with you the most. Well, that's great, and I appreciate your time. Say hi to the girls. Say hi to Maddie. Say hi to Angie. And uh, we'll, be, right. we'll be talking and we'll be listening this week for your picks. I'll uh, hopefully – uh, hopefully I won't need any, but, I, you know, you never know what happens. <laughs> I could be out there winging it and, and not doing so well, so I'll be, I'll be listening in and uh, have a great week. Have a great week of preparation and uh, enjoy yourself on the lake. Mike, listen, tell Di I said hi. Uh, tell the pagrims, tell Mike to make sure the mountains are blue. And what you should do uh, as soon as we hang up here is get your bottle of champagne out, christen this new show. Congratulations. And- all the success to you, brother. Well, thanks, buddy. And I uh, just want to let you know you're my first interview ever. <laughs> All right. You did good. <laughs> All, right. All right, bud. I'll, I'll right. talk at you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. My next guest on Odds and Ends is Hall of Fame jockey and 2019 SB Award winner for Top Jockey in the USA, an award he won in 1993, 53 years young and still going, a record 26 Breeders' Cup victories, my good friend Mikey Smith. How you doing, Mikey? I'm doing great, man. Thank you. Well, I hear you had an excellent time down in uh, Reno at the Governor's Ball and uh, heard you did a great job. Our good friend Mike Pagram said it was a, a great night and the Governor was extremely happy and he wanted to hang out with you guys. No, we really had a great time and it actually uh, worked out even even better than I was hoping for. So that was a, a real good thing. It was a lot of fun. It was a whole lot of fun. I want to talk a little bit about Zenyatta, <laughs> the great Zenyatta. 2008 Breeders' Cup Ladies' Classic winner, then comes back the next year in 2009, and you win the Breeders' Cup Classic on her. What a tremendous horse, and, and what a probably a tremendous honor to ride a horse that great. Well, she certainly was. Uh, you know, I've tried many times. I've had many, many interviews about her, and I've tried to you know, describe her and explain her to people, but she was just something you had to see with your own eyes to really understand how, how special she was. She was just... Uh, an incredible horse, and if you were blessed enough to be there in 2009 when she beat the boys in the Classic, uh, that, that's the day the ground shook in California, and there was no earthquake, man. It was just from the people going crazy over it. It was, it was unbelievable. A good 20 minutes after the race, they continued to cheer, and, and, and just it was probably the greatest race I've ever been involved in. Yeah, that's a fantastic moment, and I, I didn't get a chance to witness it in person, but I certainly was watching it on television. And that wasn't your first Breeders' Cup Classic win either. In 1997, you won with Skip Away. And then, of course, we just talked about you won in 2009 with Zenyatta, 2011 with Drosselmeyer, 
and then 2016 with Arrogate, I bet you each one of them had their own great moment. Uh, they certainly did. I mean, even going back to the one with, with Drosselmeyer, which, uh, you know, the year before, Zenyatta was going for her second Breeders' Cup Classic, and I got beat a nose to, to a great horse called Blaine, uh, which was, a, you know, it was her last race of her career, and it was a huge letdown. It was the only time she was beaten. So to come back the following year and win it with, with Drosselmeyer certainly, you know, helped ease the pain a bit. And then to come back and win it uh, with Arrowgate after that and beat the great horse in California Chrome was just uh, just an incredible race that day. And it was it was one of the biggest cups that, that, that'll go down in history. It really will. That was a tremendous day and a tremendous race. So 1994, you're riding in New York. You set, you set a record. You had 68 stake wins, 20 of which were grade ones. Now that is rolling, my man. That is That's a big year. <laughs> that is a big year. Homework. I, I like these stats you really know. To me, it makes me feel good. Well, but you, that was in '94. That was yeah. That was a big year that year. Well, you had three great years riding in New York before you moved your tack, but uh, that was one special year. I mean, 68 wins is enough, but to have 20 of those be uh, graded races is uh, really a feat. That's uh, probably unparalleled in the business today. Five Breeders' Cup this staff wins. I, I've always known you, and I've always followed you and know that you do tremendously well with the Phillies and the Mares uh, on the racetrack. And in 1995, you won your first Breeders' Cup this staff with inside information for Shug. And then you went on to win in 97. You won in 2002 on Aziri. Then, of course, we talked about Zenyatta. But then the great Royal Delta in 2012. Tell us a little bit about Royal Delta. I mean, you, you had some great wins with that horse. Did I? Uh, God rest her soul. You know she passed away last year. A real Delta did, but she was an unbelievable mare. Uh, you know when she ran her when she ran her A race, there wasn't uh, there probably wasn't a mare in the country or maybe even the world that could have beat her going a mile and eight. She was she had a very high cruising speed and she was a big mare. She had a real big stride and she was just hard to catch. I mean you could you just by the time you got to her, you were wore out just trying to even get get within a, a chance to beat her. And she never would stop. She just seemed to have stamina that, that, that kept going and going and going. Uh, I was just blessed to be a part of her and pick her up, you know, towards the, I guess, towards the end of her career. But uh, I was glad that I got to ride her because she'll go down as one of the best best mares that I've been that I've been blessed to have ridden. And I've ridden quite quite a few yes. good mares, like you said. I've been pretty lucky with the fillies, at least the four-legged ones, anyway. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I alluded to. So speaking of great fillies, are you and Cynthia driving down or flying down to Del Mar? It's not that long a drive, is it? No, it's about a two-hour drive, and, and yeah, we got married this year to, to Cynthia, uh, and, and uh, it's our first time uh, shipping. She's never gotten the chance to load the car up and ship before, so I'm, I'm following her right now. She's doing a pretty good job so far. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, that's speaking, speaking about shipping, it was one of the questions I want to ask. You ride all over the country. Tell the fans about... You know, you got a race this weekend, for example, at uh, at Monmouth Park on Midnight Bijou. Now, who sets that up? How do they contact you? Do they contact your agent, Brad Pegram, or how does that work? Let the fans know how that works, Mike. Yeah, you know, we we all have an agent. Uh, mine is Brad Pegram, who you know very well, uh, nephew of Mike, Mike Pegram, and uh, he sets all that up for me. Of course, then I have travel agents. Uh, once in a while, we go private, uh, but most of the time, we'll, we fly commercial. So I'll actually ride here on on Friday. Friday evening, and then uh, as soon as I, I basically get off my horse, I'll rush to the airport, and then we'll catch the red eyes. Uh, me and Joe Calamore are actually flying into, into Monmouth uh, to ride there. Uh, he rides the Haskell. I ride a filly called Midnight Bizu in, in uh, a nice Billy and Mare stake there. 
So we'll just fly in and, and get in there in that morning and ride and then catch a flight right back. So we'll, we'll literally be right back on Saturday night, you know, and then, of course, ride here on Sunday. So I'll have a kind of a busy weekend, but I, I've got to do that several times during this meet. So I'll be doing that at least three times uh, here this month. So, Mike, again, let the, let the fans know because I know they're interested. How, how far in advance do you know and how far in advance can you make your plans? And do you get an opportunity to – you know, move around, get a little workout in before, or, you know, shake the stiffness off from the travel, from sitting in that seat for so many hours. What's your routine like when you land? Well, I mean, you, you probably know about a week. With, with, with your better horses, you know, you, they kind of point for races. So, you, you know, a, a, sometimes a good month ahead of time, so you're, you're prepared. Sometimes it's just a week before. Sometimes it's even several days before. But once you get there, uh, Mike, I'll, I'll probably ride a few races anyway before the before the stakes, so that'll that'll kind of that'll shake the cobwebs off. But but if not, I try to get there early enough to take a good jog around the track or the turf course uh, a few times, maybe about two to three miles, and then I'm ready to go. Uh, you know, the adrenaline really kicks in too once you once you leg you up and, you, and you're on board and you get ready to ride. I mean, it just kind of carries you through, and then you I mean you basically get right off through the shower and right back to the airport again and then fly right on back. I know from traveling in the NFL, those long trips across the country, they they kind of knock you out not so much the day you land, but the next day. And it's got to take a little bit to shake those cobwebs off and get yourself back going again. So I really admire guys like yourself, jockeys like yourself, that fly all over the country and get in these big stake races and then go out and perform and perform at a high level. Last year, Omaha Beach got scratched, the favorite going into the Derby. A year after you won the Triple Crown, with Bob Baffert on Justify, that must have been, first of all, a tremendous blow with Omaha Beach, but then segue into how what a thrill it was to win the Triple Crown, you and Bob Baffert, his second one. Tell us about that, Mike. Well, it was just incredible. You know, Bob, I've been blessed to have ridden, you know, quite a few, uh, and win quite a few, you know, about as big as races you could possibly win. Uh, I remember after Bob won the Triple Crown a year or two before that with American Pharaoh, I remember him telling me, he goes, you know what, I can do this again, and I'm going to do it with you. You know, just kind of talking, and, and it's just amazing how it worked out, and, and, and we wind up doing it again with, with, with Justify, where he did, and then it was my first one, of course. But, uh, you know, it's just a life-changing experience. When you're, when, you're, when you're blessed to win the Triple Crown, there's only been 13 people that ever have done it. And just to be one of those is just incredible. I, I won't have a bad day for the rest of my life, I can tell you that, Mike, to be honest with you. And then as far as this year, going into it with another horse that, that, that had a lot of ability, who knows what? What would have been the outcome? Uh, he, he was that kind of horse, and he's just coming back. Uh, so hopefully, we'll see him soon. But you know, it was a it was a big blow. But at least he was okay. He didn't scratch for a, a career-ending you know injury or nothing like that. He had a, a trapped epiglottis, which is like having a, a severe sore throat, basically. And uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I felt worse for for Mr. Mandela. It was the first time he was coming into the Derby with a horse that actually had a, a, a big shot and. and uh, if there's ever a man that deserves to win a derby, it's a, it's, a, it's a man like, you know, Richard Mandela, who's a Hall of Fame trainer already, and he's won just about everything except that. So I was really hoping to, you know, to be able to see if I could pull it off for him uh, more than anything, to be honest with you. But hopefully he'll come back with something else. Hopefully he'll bounce back and, and uh, before he retires, get a chance at another derby favorite. Do you have any horses on the horizon that you know uh, you're, you're getting ready to ride in some big races, some grade ones, some grade twos that you can tell the fans about? Sure. I got a, a, a nice mare, uh, 
called Paradise Woods that will run here pretty soon in a couple of weeks. But looking forward to, for her to, to start back. Uh, and, of course, uh, Omaha Beach. It looks like he's going to probably run in the San Diego uh, stake. So looking for him to come back. And then, honestly, it's, it's all the babies that are going to run. Mike, that the future stars that, that, that kind of got me excited, riding one for Mandela that, that has a lot of talent. At least it, it's shown in the a.m. anymore in, in the morning. So it's talent and a few that I've been getting off for Bob. That act, that act like they could really run. Uh, and I've gotten on a few for John Sheriff that act like they could really run. So I'm just really excited about these babies getting ready to, to kick off their career. Great job of leading into my next question is, what time of year do you start getting excited about your upcoming two-year-olds and your upcoming derby horses? And you just said it right about now, the two, the yeah. two greatest meets in the country, Saratoga and Del Mar. And that's when people are pointing these, these two-year-olds to these big two-year-old races to see, to see what they do have. And maybe they get lucky and are one of the ones, uh, you know, running for the roses in May. So about and then you know later on during the meet uh again i'll be flying back and forth to saratoga a few times a, a real good horse that bob trains his name is mckenzie i think to be honest with you i think he's the best horse in the country right now uh he's going to run in the whitney so we're excited about that and i uh, can't wait for him to run back and, and hopefully uh, get back on the winning track with him we were unfortunately beaten in the in the, in the met mile last time out with a really rough trip and he didn't get the chance to run his race if he was given that chance i think he'd have been the winner of the race so hopefully we'll get back on track with him on the 20th and the whitney i agree with that that was on belmont day and i was there that day and it was tough give me uh three horses that you loved to ride over the years well it would start out with uh well i'll give you I have to give you more than three, but it started out with Lure winning my first Breeders' Cup, right. of course, and then getting the opportunity to ride a great horse like Holy Bull. And then you go on to a, a mare, uh, which I rode quite a few great mares, but you go on to a mare like Zenyatta, who, who is just incredible. And then and then after that, a great horse called Arrogate. And then, as you said, last year winning the Triple Crown with Justify. I mean, I, I'm about as full as full can be uh, as far as getting the opportunity uh, and, and being blessed to have ridden some really, really good horses and some great races and coming out on the winning end of them, you know. In 1993, I started the show saying won an SB for the top jockey in the United States, and in 2019, 26 years later, to come back and win the SB again as the top jockey in the United States, it just shows you how, how important it is for you to stay fit, to stay in tune with the game mentally and physically, and it's quite a tribute to you, Mikey, and... Uh, and, and, and just continue the great luck and have a great summer. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. And then we'll talk again. And hopefully I'll get a chance to see you this weekend. Yes, I'll definitely see you guys this weekend. And, and thanks for having me on, man. It's, it's an honor being on your show. It really is. You've been a wonderful friend and someone I've looked up to for many years. And, and uh, to be on your show just means a lot to me. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it, Mikey. Drive safely, okay? And uh, have, a great, have a great meet and have a great summer.